gospel lesson for today is from Luke, the 15th chapter. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything to eat. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. The slave replied, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What happened next? With the party still going on? A party, by the way, that the older son had to find out was happening because of the slave, from a slave. A party with music and dancing, such that the father had to talk over it, maybe yell over it with his son in explanation. While that is still going on in the background, what happened 
Did the older son attend? After spewing to his father, this son of yours, did he hear the father's plea to reconcile in this brother of yours? Where the brother is able to coexist until the father died, and then once he did, did the older brother, the one now in charge, treat the younger brother well? Did the younger brother finally become the servant that he claimed he would be willing to become when he was preparing his words for his father? We'll never know. There are no where-are-they-now documentaries about this family. No thorough biographies. Parables aren't historical. And besides, even if Jesus knew a man with these two particular sons, then like many other biblical characters, they too may have well just faded from our vision. There are lots of cameos that never make reappearance. Parables aren't historical, but they are certainly true. Jesus may not have had those three particular individuals in mind, but he knew plenty of men with two sons. He knew women with daughters. He knew siblings and all their issues. Jesus entered our world, and as a result, he met the same people we meet, the same people we are. same dynamics which every family is subject to. I'm the middle child of three. My sisters are nine years apart. When we were young, I could get them into a fight in a matter of seconds. To this day, they say that I am an instigator which hurts my feelings because I wanted to be, you know, one of Jesus' blessed peacemakers. But I have sisters. Two of them. Now, the truth is, they didn't need me to instigate. I might have provoked a few arguments, maybe hastened some along the way, but they were coming. They were always coming. Two children can't share a bedroom and parents in the childhood without incidents coming. People can't share life without incidents. So what's unresolved in this parable is also unresolved in our lives. How do we live with others who let us down? Wrong us. Frustrate us. It's not just the sons. It's you parents too. The father, if he is at all relatable, and I think parables are meant to connect to our lives, has his struggles without any reported protest. He accepts the younger son's proposal, gives him his allotment, sends him on his way. Is this another indulgent act of a parent who can't say no? Or is it the great generosity of someone who trusts his son to act responsibly? Or is it the faith of a man who believes that this time is 
son will finally get it right. When the younger son returned, did the father's great love for him overwhelm him such that the father did not think to go out and make sure the older boy knew it's time to celebrate? Or was this yet another instance of the younger son getting the attention? the affection that had not been given so freely to the older. All of that is speculation, but what I've observed is that all of that could be true, simultaneously true, at the same time, seemingly contradictory things can be true. Relationships are messy. They involve emotion, they involve people, never pure or unambiguous. When the woman swept her house clean to go and find that one coin that had been missing, she did not have to worry about the feelings of the other nine coins that had never been lost. She could just celebrate that one had been found. There was no need to determine how to best teach the life lesson to the one coin that had left, and so that young other coin would know to stay home next time. No need to reconcile that coin with the other coins who were obedient. They just all went back in a bag together. Never that easy with people. The father may well have had his favorite son. And despite that, he may well have tried to treat them both equally. He may have been so overwhelmed with emotion that he didn't think about how the older son might feel, but he also may have thought that the, younger, the older son would have felt the same way he did because his feelings were so natural in that moment. We don't know. What we know is that no relationship is simple. At least none that involves sharing life. You're a church. Bound together in your commitment to Jesus, your desire to follow Him and love God and love neighbor. And, and then when you get into how that actually plays out, you realize it's not always so simple. Not everyone sees the world the way you do. Not everyone gets the same message out of the Scripture that seems so obvious and clear to you. Not everyone lives the words that they profess, even when they profess them with all integrity and all intention. Some of the ancient interpreters of today's parables turned it, as we often do, into an allegory. The father in this story, with his great generosity and his quick forgiveness, is interpreted as God. It's a common interpretation for modern readers too, but those early theologians took it a step further, a step many of us have not taken. Some saw Jesus as the younger, the so-called prodigal son. Don't get too anxious. They aren't accusing Jesus of making the same mistakes that the one in the story made. They're reminding us that God the Son left the comforts of his father's home. And he entered into a sinful world, living among Gentiles. 
but he lost his life doing so. And then, by the power of God, was restored to life and returned ultimately to live with the Father. That's a fair allegorical interpretation. But not one Jesus' first hearers would have seen. When Jesus told the parable, his resurrection and return to the Father were not on their minds. They heard the story the way you hear other parables. A clever, pithy, curious, unresolved story that challenged them to look at their lives' relationships. What barriers had been built up between them and their siblings? What decisions had they made that put distance between them as parents with their children or or the siblings with one another or, or themselves with God if they read it even remotely allegorically? Could they? Would they? Receive the other back without the other proving their regret? without the other apologizing for their mistake, without the other doing what they could to make it right? Could they imagine God doing that for them? Is there a way for the kingdom of God to invade despite the dysfunctions of this life? We're human. Most days we try hard. We go with instinct informed by those who helped to rear us. We, we might have read and studied the best ways to be a parent or a sibling or a spouse, but that gets all mixed up with emotion and distraction and weariness. I watch a television dad and decide that's how I want to be. But by the time it's my turn for that scene to play out in my life, I'm not stepping in from the actor's trailer where I have enjoyed a healthy snack while they put on my makeup and gave me a massage. I'm coming in from a day at work. And I'm a little bit hungry. And a lot tired. And there's more to do. And I haven't forgotten what came before. And that's what it's like a lot of times to try to play out being a husband and father and son and sibling and co-worker and friend and neighbor. Which means I'm not going to say all those wise and inspiring words of a gentle but strong father in the right way at the right time. Maybe when they write the eulogy, they'll remember a few times when I did. But if we're honest, what will be implied in each of our eulogies is that sometimes parents overindulge, and sometimes parents underprovide, and sometimes children stay home and do the work, sometimes joyfully, sometimes resentfully, 
Sometimes children take off and do their own thing, sometimes wisely and sometimes foolishly and often both. And God help us, sometimes parents and children and siblings all end up in the same spot and are forced to decide how we will resolve the good and bad, emotion and reason, life and love, struggle and joy. midst of all that, all we can really do is pray. Pray that what that which is too often lost will by God's grace ultimately be found. A resolution we pray for, we work toward no matter who are the characters.